Financial education is one of those topics that can seem daunting to homeschoolers, especially if you never took a finance class in school yourself. It feels like, what are we talking about? How does this work? And how do I get started? So today's podcast is all about a financial education for our children. So I want to start with a quick definition of financial literacy and therefore financial education. So financial literacy is generally described as the ability to understand and use basic financial information to manage one's financial resources. Simple enough, right? This includes things like budgeting, financial management skills, the ability to save, invest money, to maintain your money's value, help your money grow. It's also the topic of credit, the ability to manage debt, and how that looks in real life and how that plays out. So once we break it down like that, you start to see that this is an incredibly easy and meaningful topic to include in your homeschool with just a little bit of intention. Here we go. Welcome to the Simple is the New Smart podcast. I'm Zara Fagan, PhD, author of Minimalist Homeschooling and the creator of the Simple is the New Smart membership. And this is the place where we talk about how less really is more and how simple really is the new smart. This is the place for any homeschooler who wants to trade stress, exhaustion, overwhelm, and self-doubt for peace, clarity, confidence, and a sense of true abundance. It turns out that transforming our mindset really can transform our homeschools and our lives. We'll talk tips and strategies, stories and perspective, and interview people who have lessons to teach us. And I am just so happy that you're here. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello, and welcome back to the Simple is the New Smart podcast. I am Zara Fagan, and I am the author of Minimalist Homeschooling a homeschooling business owning mother of four who loves to talk about how to keep things simple, focused, and valuable, hence the definition of minimalism, right? So today I want to talk about something that is near and dear to my homeschooling heart, but also overlaps quite a bit with the minimalist mentality, and that is financial education for our children. So I think that as homeschoolers, we have a unique opportunity when it comes to financial education. First of all, we get to start young with our conversations about money, how money works, how we use money, how money serves us. And this is where we really get into overlapping with a minimalist mentality because the purpose of our money is to serve us, to help us be who we want to be. The purpose of money is not so that we can have all the things that we want to have, but rather so that we can be who we'd like to be. I also think it's really great at a young age that we can avoid a scarcity mentality, right? Because a lot of people hoard things out of fear, fear of what if, fear that they won't be able to have it in the future, fear that they might miss out, fear, 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 and scarcity, right? That there isn't enough to go around, that it may not exist in the future when we need it, that we won't have it when we want it. And there's this sort of fear of scarcity. So I feel like when we're homeschooling, we not only have this ability to start young, but we also have the ability to be intentional about our words that surround money so that we can give constant conversation and perspective to the topic. I also think it's invaluable that our children get to see our spending behavior. As a business owner, my children see a lot of bookkeeping. They hear a lot of conversations about cash flow, margins, 
payroll, taxes, all of these sorts of conversations. And the more our children are around us, the more they see how we handle and manage money. So along those lines, I think it's really great that money is something that my husband and I spent a lot of time thinking about before we even had children. So we got really clear on how money would serve us. And I've mentioned before, but I will mention again, there's a great book by David Bach called Smart Couples Finish Rich. The title really doesn't do it justice. It is a values-based approach to saving money and using money. And so because we started there, I feel like our conversations with our children come a lot more naturally because we can be intentional about continuing that conversation at their level. So my first recommendation for financial education is to educate yourself to understand what your weaknesses and strengths are with money, how you relate to money, how you view money, how money serves you, how you would like money to serve you, and what sort of priorities you have for your money and how you manage your money. What systems do you use? And to get not only clear, but also confident in how you approach and how you use money. And there are, of course, a lot of podcasts, a lot of books, a lot of YouTube videos that can start that sort of financial education for you yourself, right? Because we are the best teachers, especially when we can model the behavior. And a lot of times we're learning alongside our children. And this is something where I think it's really great if we are teaching ourselves and then passing on that perspective and that knowledge to our kids. So let's get into some of the nitty gritty about what we have used in our homeschool for financial education. My kids range in age from kindergarten till eighth grade right about now. And we got really intentional about our financial education in our home a couple of years ago. So first of all, I want to mention a couple of books that I really like for beginning the conversation about finances and money with our children. There is a book called You Wouldn't Want to Live Without Money by Alex Wolf, and that discusses the history of money. And that was eye-opening, not only to my children, but also to myself. And it inspired my children to start making their own currency, right? So there's this idea that currency is anything that has value to somebody else. And this is particularly interesting when we think about our current currency has no inherent value. It has the value that others in our society and in our world attribute to it. Right. So that is why the value of the dollar is constantly fluctuating. It's dependent on the country and the economy. And so these sorts of concepts are really interesting. And the book You Wouldn't Want to Live Without Money is one that can be read to children even at a very young age and young elementary school years, and they will understand it for the most part. So I really like that one. As the children get older, about middle school age, we liked the book How to Turn $100 into $1 million by James McKenna. And this one was inspiring to my children. It helped them understand the ideas of compounding interest, investing, and building wealth. And so those were two really good books that I like to recommend. Of course, there are tons of books out there. There are Bernstein Bearer books about being responsible with your money and books at every level. So don't be afraid to just get the books and start reading about it. So here are some tangible things as a parent that we have found work really well in our family. First of all, I feel really strongly that credit cards and credit card debt are sort of a trap for people in our current society. It is way too easy to spend money. And children at a young age see us using credit cards. We magically put this card in the machine and we get whatever we want. They don't see the paying the bills. And even when you explain to them that there is a bill to pay later, it's intangible to them. So One thing that we do is that we do not let our children keep gift cards because we feel like gift cards are a primer for this plastic mentality that you put the card in and you magically get whatever you want. But rather, if you and studies have shown this, and this is the whole premise behind the Dave Ramsey system where you put the cash in the envelopes, if you spend your cash 
you realize you're not going to get it back. And so we do as much as possible with our children, giving them cash. So they cash in their gift cards to us. They end up with cash in their pocket so that they can see that they give that money away. They don't get it back. And it is in exchange for some goods or service, right? In contrast, if they get use a gift card, they put the gift card in, they still have the gift card, they may not get to use the gift card again, but there is less of an experience of this finite money that is tangible and that you now have to go earn it to get it back. And so we do everything we can to model not using credit cards or being really honest about our credit card bills and showing them credit card bills. And we don't use gift cards in our home. So yes, they get gift cards as gifts, but we exchange them with our children for cash. When I am shopping with my kids, I don't say we can't get that or we don't have the money for that. I feel that that promotes a scarcity mentality. And at the end of the day, we could buy most things. We would just probably go into debt if we bought everything we wanted to buy, right? And we would rather spend our money on other things, right? Even if those other things are groceries, but I would rather spend my money on something else. I'm very honest with my children if I'm saving up for something. If we have a big house project or another property project because we own businesses and we own properties, I can explain to them I'm saving my money because we have a project coming up or I really want this, so I'm not going to spend my money on that. Another thing that we do is we talk to our kids in terms of we could spend our money on that or we could use that money for this, right? So we make the comparison. I could either spend my money on buying you extra clothes you don't need or we could go do this experience. That's the same cost as this experience. By making those comparisons openly with our children, it's not a scarcity mentality. It's not saying we don't have the money for that. It's one, the idea that if we spend our money on all the things, we won't have any money. <laughs> and number two, we would rather spend our money on something else and explaining to them what we prefer to spend our money on so that as they get older, they get to make their own value judgments. So along those lines of their own value judgments, we do let our children spend their money however they would like without restriction. Let me give you the caveats for that, though. When our children earn money or receive money, they have to write it in a ledger. So each of our children have their own ledger where they write down all of the money that they receive and all of the money that they spend. So obviously, I do it for our kindergartner. I walk through it with my third grader and my middle schoolers now do it by themselves. Here's what happens. When they receive money, we require that our children put 50% of their money into savings. Now, that's a high percentage. You can be as aggressive as you'd like with your children, but I'm just telling you this so you get an idea and you can tweak it for your own family, what works for you. Our children get paid for jobs that we would pay other people to do. So if they help us clean a property, they will get paid for that. They get paid for yard work, things like that, where before they were old enough to do these tasks, I was paying somebody else to do them. So when they earn this money, it goes into their ledger, 50% goes into savings, 10% goes into giving, and 40% remains for spending. So they do all have savings accounts at the bank, and they make regular deposits at the bank, so they're getting used to this, and then their spending money is theirs. My husband and I try very hard not to place our value judgments on their spending, and it is so hard to do at first, guys. It's so hard. It's painful because you want to tell them that they're just buying junk or that they're going to regret the purchase, but the best lesson for my kids has been them spending their own money and experiencing that regret. 
they have come to the conclusion themselves that they would rather think about it for a while. And if they still really want it in a certain amount of time, then they know that's a good purchase. They've come to these sorts of realizations on their own because their spending money has been theirs to succeed or fail with. And I think this has been a really important lesson in our home is to give our children the opportunities to learn hard lessons when the stakes aren't high right? So I want them to learn this when they're spending $20, when they're spending $15, not when they've bought a $20,000 vehicle. That was probably not a good choice, right? So we want them to learn these lessons early on in life when they have a soft place to land and they're not going to have to declare bankruptcy, right? We want them to learn how to spend responsibly and to understand their own value system, right? And so it's hard to bite our tongue, And to not encourage our kids to save their money or not spend it on that thing. But it has also been really important to us to realize that the way people spend their money is based on what they value. And so you can have that conversation. Buying Pokemon cards is not something I'm going to do with all of my spending money because they don't have a value to me. However, Pokemon cards do have a value to other people. And so not judging what they're spending their money on has been difficult, but it's also been a really good reminder that our values are individualized. The other thing that my children have told me, two different children have told me on their own is that they love that they are saving money because then they don't feel bad about spending their 40% because they remember that at least they have all that money in saving. And let me tell you guys, my kids love watching their savings grow. It is so rewarding to them. I mean, if you talk about natural consequences that are reinforcing, saving money is one of them. They are so proud of how much money they are saving. And every time they make a deposit, they feel good about themselves because they see that bottom line. And so it's not something that I even have to lecture them about the benefits of saving. They just naturally love seeing that they're building wealth, right? So what do we do then with the giving money, right? So our children are saving 10% of everything as giving money and we compile it as a family into a giving jar. So whenever they get money, they separate it out. I sort of act as a bank as far as breaking dollar bills down into smaller change so that they can do their math and separate their money, right? And they have their place where they keep their money waiting for a deposit and then they have their spending money in their wallet and we have a giving jar. So the giving jar then About every three months, we take all the money in the giving jar and our children take turns deciding where they would like to donate that money. So we started with the oldest child deciding first where he would like to donate that money. And then when we had a significant amount acquired, we let the next oldest decide where he would like to donate that money. And so one, obviously our older children are going to be making more money than our younger children. But the idea here is that we give together as a family and nobody in our family has had a problem with this. We take turns deciding where it will go and they all really appreciate it and they look forward to it and they talk about when it's my turn, I want to donate here. So the common places that we tend to donate is to a veterans home in our area that houses veterans and feeds veterans. And another place is the Missionaries of Charity, which is St. Teresa of Calcutta's missionaries. And there is a convent near us where they do their work and they are always open to donate donations so that they can serve the poor. So those are some examples, but animal shelters, your church, there are tons of options for donating money. The other thing that we do as a family that I think helps with the financial education discussion is that we don't buy gifts or novelties for our kids just because. So we will buy them shoes and clothes if they need them, but we won't buy them extra clothes just because they like them. We won't buy them toys and we won't buy them electronics and goodies simply because they want them. They can use their spending money 
or they can wait for a birthday or a holiday that includes gifts. So this does something really, really fantastic. If my child is begging for something and says that they want something, I say to them, you can use your money for that if you'd like. And it's amazing how many things they decide they don't really actually want that badly if they have to spend their own money on it. I think that this is a major tenant to financial education in children, is that it is very easy for people to spend someone else's money. And this is sort of the premise behind credit cards too, right? It's very easy to spend money that isn't really yours. It's not until you feel the sting of the credit card bill that you think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But you still get that instant gratification of being able to spend the money without feeling the sting. And I think with children, the sooner they can realize that there's a little bit of a sting to spending their own money, then the less they are likely to ask for. And they really take into consideration if it's something that they really, really want, if it's really worth it to them. Otherwise, maybe they're willing to wait for their birthday or another holiday that includes gifts. And this delayed gratification is an important part of being responsible financially. And this is why my children will say that they want to think about it for a while, that they want a couple weeks. And if they still want it, will you please bring me back, mom, and I'll buy it then? And I say, sure. So I'm willing as a mom to make those sorts of concessions. I'm willing to say, you know what, if you still want this in a couple weeks, I will bring you back for it or we'll find a way to find it online or whatever will work. But I want to encourage them to make financially responsible decisions, right? That's my job. And one other thing that we always do with our children is they are allowed to buy each other one gift for their birthday and one gift for each of their siblings at Christmas. And we always give them a budget. So our children do get very used to shopping within their budget and buying the best thing they can for their siblings within their budget. So budgeting for our children and with our children is something that we can do all day long. It's a great benefit for being a homeschooler. You can talk about your own budget. If you've got a grocery budget, if you're watching how much you're spending on gas these days, whatever it is, having these conversations with our kids teaches them real life skills at a level that they would not get if they were away from you all day long. One other thing that we are just starting with our children is teaching them how to invest in the stock markets. And so what we've done in order to do this is that we have provided our children with a certain amount of money for them to invest. And my husband, specifically because this is more his wheelhouse than mine, but anybody really can do this, sits down with them on a regular basis and teaches them how to choose stocks, how to analyze stocks, what all the numbers mean, and then lets them make decisions. So again, this is a situation where we are largely leaving the final decision making up to them, but there's a lot of learning in the beginning, a lot of guidance, a lot of mentoring in the beginning, and we've set certain benchmarks for them. We want them to try to earn a certain return on their investment in a certain period of time. And if they do that, they can pull out the money and they can put it in their ledger. They can reinvest 50% of it and they can spend the 40% and donate the 10%, right? But they have to meet that sort of challenge, right? So, So we've turned it into a bit of a challenge for them to have a good return on their investment. The jury is still out on how this is going to work in the long run, how we may tweak it. But I wanted to throw that out there as another opportunity for learning with our children, whether you can have them invest their own money or invest some of your own money, you know, whatever suits your family to start teaching them that aspect of finance as well. And so guys, those are my big tips for financial education in kids starting very young is one, start reading the books, read the books yourself for your own education, read the books with your children for their education. Think about how you're speaking about money to them and how you are spending, how money is serving you. And then finally, I think that the ledger system has been really, really important in our family, as well as not letting our children use plastic for purchases at a young age. So teaching them, first of all, that they can save their money and have that reward of building wealth 
teaching them about giving and having that reward of being able to give to others and seeing their money serve others. And finally, letting them make their own mistakes and successes when they're spending their own money. And with that quick insight into our homeschool and our financial education, I am wishing you all the simple things. Have a great one. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode. I want you to know that I have a free goodie for you. If you are wondering where you have the most clutter in your homeschool, try our minimalist homeschooling audit. It's free, it's quick, it's easy, and you will get immediate action steps to start working towards a clutter-free homeschool. So go ahead and get started today. It's at resources.zaraphd.com forward slash minimalist dash homeschooling dash audit.